Hey there, general admission listeners. You can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Prime, or YouTube. If you want to keep up with GA in between episodes, be sure to follow us on Instagram at General Admission Pod. You can also find us on TikTok for exclusive episode fast forwards, as well as clips and shorts. Just search Gen Admission Pod. On today's General Admission, best of 2022. We say goodbye to the year that was with a bunch of interviews, a little year-end talk, and goals for 2023. We have our best moments, our favorite interviews, our favorite stories from our favorite guests, all in this episode. It is a jam-packed episode to get you through that holiday lull between Christmas and New Year's. Okay, let's go. Okay, today is Thursday, December 22nd. It's actually not. We're recording this earlier, but you will be listening to this on Thursday, December 22nd, or maybe 23rd or the 24th. Well, maybe not 24th. It's Christmas Eve. Well, I don't know. Maybe, Run you're, running your Eve. maybe you're running errands and you throw on a podcast. Probably not the 24th, but maybe. Anyway, <laughs> we are here with our best of 2022. We're going to send you out of 2022 with a bang we will be back on january 5th i think it is but we thought we'd give you something to help get everyone through work and dog walks house chores um whatever you need between now and the new year in fact call us up and we will do your chores for you no maybe probably not Probably not. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> we'll have enough chores around. No, maybe if we had a maybe if we had a Patreon for <laughs> <laughs> for our top subscriber, we will do your chores for you. This podcast has just become Fiverr. Um, no, but we have a best of. We have a ton of awesome interviews that we had so much fun with this year, and um, chopped them up. Took some of our favorite parts from our favorite guests for our favorite interviews and um you're gonna hear a bunch of that this episode but before we get to that we thought we'd talk a little new year's resolutions um general admission style to see what we have planned for the new year what we want to do with this podcast what we want to do with shows what we want to do at the garden in two weeks Najir resolutions. Hick. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I know one of my big resolutions for the new year is I want to see more bands that I've never seen before. That's a good one. Yeah. Because we do tend to go to the same bands yeah. all the time. I think I there's most... anything wrong with that, but no, no. And fish doesn't count, obviously. First timer for me. I think most of my resolutions are going to be me just trying to justify not seeing Blink. (laughs) Because I am deep down very sad about that. I mean, it's too early to say it's too early to say we're not seeing them. My sister has an extra ticket, so there's a good chance I wind up at Barclays. But. But yeah, um, who knows? Um, I think you'll end up seeing I don't know if I will, though. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anyone um, with an extra ticket. <laughs> anything over one fifty, I don't think I'd want to do. But 
I think like 129 seems real good for blank. I don't know if that's what the ticket costs. <laughs> All right. So my New Year's resolution now is to see blank. <laughs> it grew from five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, new bands. I know we talked about Parkway Drive is playing Starland. Um, I think that would be I cool. Wouldn't mind going to that one. Yeah. I haven't seen them in a really long time. It's them with Memphis Mayfire. Who I've never like, seen before. Yeah. I don't even like know either band really well, but like sometimes you see a band live and it makes you more of a fan. And they're such good musicians too. So I can only imagine like them doing a headline. Yeah. Headlining that, show. Cause I've only seen them at, at Warp Tour where they can only play for like a half hour. Yeah. We could see them really like do what they do in a small venue also. And just shred. Yeah. For like an hour and a half. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, That's really like my biggest resolution. I'm not really sure what else. Probably just going to be all on the fly now. Are there any bands you want to deep dive in 2023? I have like a running list of resolutions here, so I'll just Uh, throw you my questions and then I'll answer you. I I really want to deep dive David Bowie. That's a good one. I have a whole notepad note in my phone (laughs) from when I did my deep dive, so... It's just like artists with that much music and that much difference between their music, I think. Like, I don't even know him that well, but I would think he has albums that don't sound like other albums of his. So it's just, it's very overwhelming. But that's why it's a deep dive. It's not easy. I recommend reading On Bowie by Rob Sheffield as you do your deep dive because he kind of gives you a nice little tour guide as you read the book. Good call. Yeah, maybe we could uh, book club that. I will gladly read that again. Book club and deep dive. Oh, speaking of, we're going to get back to the storyteller in January. I know we kind of like hiatus did it. Hiatus did is now a verb. Um, but I guess, I guess we can maybe do part two and three. Want to make up for lost time? Yeah. Or do we just do part two? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. In a couple of weeks. I. I'm excited to have a couple of weeks off, come back fresh. Um, I know for a fact I want to interview more bands. Yes. That's not like it's a hot take. Um, I want to get some in-person interviews. We were talking about that off air, but I think that would be fun because there's, there's certain things on Zoom that you don't quite get in real life. It's like body language and just there's always that like extra little pause because you're co- going across the interwebs in person is much different yeah so we're gonna get there's a resolution i want a live or in-person general admission guest or no guest me and you got to get together and uh do an episode i am down fun. even for uh our roadmap series which will be starting off in the new year too like that'd be nice to do some of those in person too yeah like we're not that far from each other and like, you know, we get together with the guests and like have some beers and just talk, talk about a band that that would be a lot of fun. Be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What's what are what do you have on your list? So for my deep dive, I had Pantera and Bad Religion because I kind of punted Bad Religion from over the <laughs> summer when we mentioned it. So now oh, I'm just yeah. punting that to 2023. We totally didn't follow through on that one. No. That's okay. Um, you picked the Grohl book instead, which has been yeah. well worth it. Pantera is a, a great one. Um, I can't say I ever 
deep dove them. I was just really hooked on. They have like Ma. a double album greatest hits. So it, it is like a ton of their songs. But I did put on uh what well, I think Cowboys from Hell, maybe. I love um, that song. That I know like they're big hits, like no, Cowboys I think from Hell, Walk. It, it's not also an, Gates. It's not also an album. Yeah, yeah, it's also an album. And uh there was tons of songs on that that I had never heard before that were awesome. So yeah. That's a good deep dive. Especially now that they're back together. Yeah. Yeah, you might uh you might wind up seeing them. Who knows? Metallica tour. And I feel like I just saw them on something else. That oh, festival you sent me? Yeah. Which um our marketing guy asked me if I'd be interested in going. So he said, um, once we get it all set up, he'll see what his budget is like and who we can bring. And yeah, but it no, looks like no weather delays, hopefully. Yeah, seriously. After literally last episode, I said I'll never go back to Florida. But you know what? If I am getting paid, then why the hell wouldn't I? So maybe I'll get to see Pantera. You guys send me all the videos. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Um, another resolution: see fish as much as I can. Completely contradicts my other resolution, but I don't care. <laughs> I can add that to my list too. <laughs> I definitely want to go to the AC show next year. See them on the beach. Yeah. Uh maybe I'll have you do a run with me. You think you could handle three days of fish on the beach? <laughs> Maybe. Good if I don't get time. yelled at by the boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, what we do is we bring them Sunday. We bring the girls Sunday because that's always the calmest of the shows. Um, Yeah, crash at my parents' place. 30 minutes from AC. Uh, it's, it's such a good weekend. <laughs> I say play sand. Yeah. On the sand. Yeah. Or, you know, you just pick like Another resolution could be just try and go to a venue or two that we've never been to. And that could be attached to any band. Um, Fish is always an easy one because they tour so damn much. But like even that Silverstein show I was talking about, like that would be a new venue. Stradsburg. Check off the list. Yeah. So. Because I feel like we hit like every Jersey one pretty much. I know you haven't been to Crossroads yet, but. I haven't been to Crossroads or the Lanes, which is. Both are crazy, but it's looking we'll like those off. the lanes is going to happen because I want to go to this Ogbert, the nerd, and Halogen's show in January. Hopefully, talk to one of those bands would be cool. Ogbert the Nodge. Ogbert the Nodge. Hickbert. Hickabert. And <laughs> Ogbert. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have more? I don't know I had I really a have that much more listening habit. So for me, I want to meet. I feel like I listen to too many podcasts. So I should probably cut back on those and start listening to music more. Not our listeners, though. Not don't, our listeners. You guys aren't allowed yeah. to have this resolution. Because <laughs> my my uh, Spotify wrapped was, I think, like 12,000 behind you. So I feel like I got to get my hours spent listening to music back over the 30,000 threshold. It's. I listen to a lot of podcasts and especially with, with this podcast, there's days where 
we're prepping for episodes and then we do the episodes. So say we record on a Tuesday, it's like Wednesday and Thursday. I am just listening to podcasts. Like I almost don't even want to listen to music sometimes. Yep. But like whatever works, you know, like you don't want to feel like you're being forced to listen to music. I mean, that's true. Within reason. Give me homework. We listen to some albums that like we might not otherwise, but sometimes those wind up hitting. So like it's a coin flip. Like T Swift. Such a good album. <laughs> I should have gave I could have gave um uh vigil vigilante shit song of the year. It would have been a good contender. That was it's a very good one. Yeah. It's definitely top three. Thirty two, um, sex not violence and vigilante shit you yeah. missed out but now you're <laughs> listening to this show after listening to that show so it's an honorary mention yeah yeah <laughs> but my last uh listening habit too is i want to get you and the listeners into music writer experience in february what is that which is where you have to listen to one album a day that you've never listened to before. Oh, is that in a month? And you do like one tweet length review of it after you listen to it. Oh, that's a great idea. How a day? Excuse me. A day. And you can't it, you've had to have never listened to it before. That sounds like you like... make your list. Like I make my list in January and then I just go down my list. That sounds like a February. TikTok series slash Instagram. If Let's we do, do like a 30 second review, 30 second to a minute each. Yeah. All right. Making making yep. promises on air. There we go. <laughs> so I've been doing this for I think it's gonna be my fourth year. But I've loved like I love doing it every year. You do I've, it I found some a, really good albums from it. You do too. it for a month or how for long? all of February. All of February. Okay. Yeah, short month. So there's twenty eight days, <laughs> twenty eight albums. That's great. Come Although sometimes twenty nine when it's leap year. How does how does the list work? Like if it's an album where I know a couple songs but I've never really like counts it counts that it can be listened to yep okay all right cool okay. so like i try to mix mine up like classic rap albums i've never listened to or like if i know like one big hit but never listened to the full album i'll throw that on there yeah it's really fun to put the list together yeah and we have a whole month to, to do it yeah yeah that's a great idea that sounds like a lot of fun and then I line it up with like new releases too. So if I know something's coming out like on that Friday, I'll make sure my new album is that album on that Friday. <laughs> that feels like cheating. <laughs> it is a little bit, but <laughs> that's okay. It still it still meets the guidelines. So there you go. <laughs> cool. Cool. Uh lots of listening. I like it. And then last question, since it's our last show of the year. Yeah. Your most anticipated albums. In 2023. It's a very hard question because as I learned this year, I have no fucking clue what's coming out. When you asked me this this year in March, I said Avenge Sevenfold. They didn't come out with an album this year. So and now that still, could be a 2023 one. They're still on my mind for 2023. They're I feel like they're due for an album. I haven't and they're touring again. Um it's said for this Rockville Festival. This is their sh- first show since like 2018. That's a really long time. Yeah. So, all right. I they're definitely on my mind. Um, they don't have any. They haven't said anything, but they're my mind. Um, the front bottoms, hundred percent. Um, 
they haven't said anything either, but they're definitely coming out with an album this year. Uh, that's some 41 album. It's going to come that's out, the double album. Uh, missing the layup here. Missing the layup. Missing the layup. Um, Weezer Winter <laughs> said no one ever. It's 2022. <laughs> um, Blake. Um, there you well, go. <laughs> no, I'm not excited about that. Just kidding. Yeah, that, especially the way they've been hyping it, but you can't take any of that seriously. But of course, yeah, that's a good one. I have very mild expectations for that one. Yeah, I also have a low bar for them, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And that's not like, I don't mean that in like a bad way. It's just like, I'm probably going to be pretty happy with whatever they do, even if it's not amazing because they're fucking Blink 182. Yeah. <laughs> like, I even found so much joy in neighborhoods when it came out, even though like it's like notoriously like shit on now. No, the first I, half I thought, of it I was think still it, really good. I think it's the opposite. I think it was shit on when it came out and now it's, more respected at least that's that's how it went through for me but i was also going through my music snob college years so those are fun days yeah (laughs) uh 10 years they're gonna have an album out excited for that i still need to get you to listen to some of their stuff yeah you do yeah i only know like the autumn effect i know you'll like it we just have to have to do it but um 10 years 10 years later yeah uh i don't know <laughs> that's what we'll call the segment <laughs> <laughs> i can put them on my list for february oh true nice yeah maybe we could uh help each other out with albums that we like that the other might not know it's a good idea yeah um yeah i don't know not much else is jumping to my mind right now for for releases. But I'm sure there's going to be a bunch. Only other ones I had on mine were Menzingers. I feel like they're long overdue. Gaslight Anthem. Yeah. Paramore. Yeah. I mean, Paramore's a definite, I'd say. The yeah. other two are questionable. It's like maybe a day to remember. If they want to redeem, you're welcome. I could see them coming back quick because like, is miracle just really just a single or is that from a True. session i don't know we'll find out um yeah uh, that was... speaking of we were talking about grin and bear last week um he said he's working on new music hey so that's exciting our email um, album of the year that tom denny album isn't actually out yet i don't think think he just has the one song so we'll get to, to he said it was coming out though in like mid-november right but it never dropped i think he just meant a single oh okay um sounds like color yeah i think it's there's just a single out right now yeah decoherence so that whole thing will come out eventually we already heard it no big deal what up <laughs> yeah that's gonna be a good year I'm excited. Um, excited to see where the podcast continues to grow to. See what other shenanigans we could get into. Shenanigans. Yep, of course. 
but before we get into new stuff, let's go over some of our favorite old stuff. We have a ton of interviews coming at you this episode. Um, it was really hard uh, breaking a lot of these down because a lot of the conversations were were just really good. Like I really enjoyed listening back to these and hearing what our guests had to say. And uh, yeah, just tried to pick out some of my my favorite parts. But um, the first one I I put on here was um my friend former coworker Mike Hellriegel who um is in a New Jersey cover band called Grand Theft Audio which we established is an amazing name for a cover band and um this interview was a lot of fun it was one of our first he's like just... first three at least i would think yeah this is like at the point where we were asking friends to come on to be guests because we didn't really have yeah pull yet to get some bands on but yeah and we had the some good friends that are willing to join the pod yes and we had to stop the interview halfway through because we weren't paying for zoom yet so our free trial like ran out like you only get 30 minute clips or something like that on free zoom we kept hitting time so we would hit time and then we'd have to start fresh which would lead to which would start back up at like a random conversation that has nothing to do with anything. And then I would have to try and clip it all back together to sound like it was making sense. And I remember Mike saying like, and this was only our second or third episode, but he's like, you guys really can't afford zoom. Come on, get a sponsor or something. Let's go. I was like, all right, I guess, you know, if we're really going to do this, like what's like $12 a month or whatever it is like, it's worth it. Yeah. So this interview helped uh, push us to pay for Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. To do one of our first expenses for the podcast after like microphones. It was the second expense. Second expense. Yeah. But um, yeah, we talked with him about like how they make set lists and different songs and cover bands. And like, he was talking about how if they're at a twenties bar, and they start playing Scotty doesn't know like people just lose their fucking minds <laughs> which isn't surprising but no who doesn't but, lose their mind when that song yeah. comes on but he's like just like maybe like 6 or 7 years older than us but i guess it's just enough where like there's that little bit of a uh, a gap although like i feel like you should have saw euro trip that's probably on him yeah probably <laughs> But um, are we putting in the dime bag part here too? Oh yeah, we are. Now. Yeah, that that's in here. <laughs> he does a great dime bag Daryl impression, so uh, that'll be in there. Um, he told some great stories from different venues and shows, and drunk people in the crowd, and just like shenanigans. So we got into a lot of that. Um, yeah. So uh, let's throw it over to that, and uh, we'll talk to you in a little bit. Last last question. Can can Dimebag Daryl shout out General Admission Podcast? <laughs> I, wait, 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 wait,
the guy right now. Oh, there he is. Hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. All right, man. I'm getting strapped up with the general admission podcast right now. We'll be burning some rope, doing some illegal shit. You know, get your pull on that, man. Yeah, it's and it also depends too the types of places. Like if you play like uh, we play Willie McBride's in Hoboken, which is like younger, and uh, that's just like you kids in their twenties. They love that pop punk stuff, dude. You play Blink One Eight Two, they freak <laughs> out. I'm like, that's us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but it, it's just funny too because all right, uh, I forget who wanted to do. Maybe it was our singer. He went. That song Scotty doesn't know. Yeah. It's a jam. Exactly. Euro trip. Yeah. Matt Damon's up there saying it's like, I had never heard of that song. I'm like, all right, we'll play. It seems fun. The moment you start going that everybody in their twenties jumps up and starts freaking out. I'm like, I don't think that stuff is like age the best of anything. Yeah, like uh what's the other one? Um that lit song, uh, my, oh, own worst enemy. my own worst enemy. Like yeah. we see cover bands a lot in the summer, and at this point, I'm even sick of that song. But it's always a good time. <laughs> People love that one. I'm trying to think what's with. There's a couple other ones that are just like you know mainstays that you got to play. Ocean do Avenue. You, do you read a what crowd? Ocean Avenue. Oh, we, we don't do that one. We okay. don't hire a violin player. Uh, get the keytar doing the keytar though now <laughs> well, that, uh, oh, <laughs> you know what if you give our singer the idea all of a sudden he's going to start <laughs> sequencing that out so, <laughs> so do, yeah, you, I mean, do, do you read a crowd like um if if you go in with the set and you notice the crowd is more of that willie mcbride's um younger um crowd are you gonna kind of audible and lean into more of the 2000 stuff than the 90s or oh. do you have a set plan no matter what it's you know we have this set so we try to and that's mostly to make sure you know we've got you know there's always a game plan and it's timed out for three hours or whatever it is but you know when you're watching you're seeing what's going on then you know somebody will be like you know scrap this next one and instead of that you know play you know play damn it or play uh you know whatever it is fall up boy and um you know, or like, you know, sometimes, you know, people come running up too and they'll be like, you know, oh, like, do you take requests? Or they just, you know, start sharing songs. You just, <laughs> Mr. Brightside. <laughs> and then like, you go, all right. And if they want to hear that, you know, you look around like, it's sometimes it's either, um, all right, we haven't played that in a while. Let's do it. And then there's been a couple of times where, you know, because everybody's been playing for a while. Like we've played songs that we've never actually rehearsed. And you look around like, right, do you know that one? You know that one? All right, cool. And then off with it but yeah it's you know always trying to read the crowds because let's face it, at the end of the night it's you know it kind of doesn't matter how well we play you know the venues are looking at like did people stick around and were they buying drinks and all that stuff so th that's also the thing too we say when you're crafting a set list and reading the crowds like we're trying to make sure that everybody who comes in stays because you know nobody really knows us when we walk in you know maybe a couple of friends have come out to see us, but the bulk of the bar is, you know, people we kind of have to, you know, win over. So, are there like certain songs that you like staples that you open and close with? Are your go-to's opening ones? You know, we'll kind of mix that up. It's more of like a, you know, something like you know, open something like you know, 
good, better than Ezra, or like uh, even a, you know, don't look back in anger, Oasis. Um, some of the good closers that we've done, is like, you know, the ones with like the epic guitar solos. So Alive by Pearl Jam, oh, that nice. one a bunch. Uh, to get closer. It, it, that one, let me tell you, that's a fun song to play. And then, you know, it's got a killer guitar solo. So like, you know, if you get a guitarist that can pull it off, like it, it, it really goes over well. That one and uh, uh, we do, um, the good close has been, um, I'm not particularly a fan of the song, but it does seem to go over well as uh, uh, Tom Petty running down a dream. They'll make that extended solo and our drummer is really good about it. like he mixes that part up at the end where like he'll extend parts or like really kind of break it up. He plays, you know, pretty aggressively. So he builds it up really well and it ends up being like a lot of fun. And then, you know, I'll, I guess we're kind of twisting the song a little bit because like, you know, he starts building up on the drums and I'll start playing like chords on the bass and then it just starts sounding like really big. And then at the end, it just has like a really cool crescendo to it. So, um, you know, there's that one or there's always a, <laughs> this one, we, we talk about audibles and stuff. Like the bartender security comes up and there's like one more song. <laughs> you know, it's just like curfew or whatever, oh, yeah. you know? And you just gotta be like, all right. Uh, oh, the other good one, Everlong. <laughs> Yeah, people love that one. We both love that one. Yeah. I mean, you, that's one of the songs that everybody loves, but when you go and listen to it, you're like, yeah, everybody should love it. It's popular it's for good. a reason. It, it's that good. I mean, like, it's melodic, but it's heavy. It's in drop D. And then it's, you know, got this nice melody to it. But then the drums are ferocious on that song, you know? Like, uh, you know, I don't know how you play with like without your arms falling off. It's it's like you know you get hit hard, but like it's fast. It's really fast, especially the ending. Oh yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where you sit back and listen to it. You're like that's actually a very yeah, it's a very impressive song. I don't know if that sounds like a pretentious thing to say, but it's really good. You know, oh, it's a great song. Um, do you ever feel like with um, some of these artists that you have to play like the hit when you'd rather kind of play a b-side or something like maybe you have to play sugar we're going down instead of dance dance which might be more fun or something something like that so there's always that balance because i think all of us we all want to do the songs that we really you know that we particularly like yeah. i'll give you a perfect example so um i love the black crows uh, we do um uh We've done Hard to Handle, which is like, you know, like the biggest one. And then we do um, Jealous Again. Jealous Again is one I, I love too. But like my favorite Black Crow song, which was a single, is a song called Conspiracy from the third album, Morka. And it's, it's one of the things like it was a single and all that stuff, but it probably doesn't make sense to play because it's not as, you know, it, it's not as recognizable, I guess, you know, if you will, which is kind of a bummer. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you also learn to see the songs differently, too. Like, there's actually a lot of songs that I never listen to unless I hear, like, in the car. But then actually really, like, playing it, like, um, like Flagpole Sitter, my Harvey Danger. Like, I never sit around going, oh, I'd love to hear that song. But, like, actually, I always really like playing it. It's, you know, like, it is actually kind of fun. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like that, but that is the balance. Cause here's the thing too, is like to your point where like, when you say like the deep cuts up, you know, everybody's playing the 
you know, the Mr. Brightsides that my own were sending me. So sometimes we're still trying to differentiate by playing something that's like a little deeper cut where, you know, maybe the whole bar isn't gonna get, but there's gonna be a handful of people that go, oh, I remember that song. Like, I love that song. Like uh, one that was a lot of fun we need to bring back is uh, In the Meantime by Space Hog. Oh, that yeah. one always went over well. That's you gotta know, be fun. Not like bass. a huge song. Very underrated uh, yeah. song. Underrated song, very busy. And when that was, I think, one of our better ones. And it was, yeah, like it's a popular song, but it's not nearly like a name brand. It's one like you'd recognize if you heard, but you might not be able to like say what it is for yeah, a lot it, of people, I would think. It's a great exactly. Song. There's, there's one or two other ones that might have been a little more, I'm trying to think, maybe either popular bands or more obscure that like went over you know pretty well i'm having a hard time remembering at the moment but um but um but yeah but that's the thing is like balance like what what do people know but then what's also just like a little different because if i hear one more cover band play american girl or like blister in the sun you know like i'm just gonna (laughs) you know (laughs) it's you know i don't know some of those songs i'm like we don't need to hear it again (laughs) I know you just mentioned uh, Black Rose, but like, who are some of your other like '90s go-to's, like for you personally? Okay, for me, when I think like you know the '90s stuff, like you know, I'm a Nirvana guy. I've always loved that band. I want to, I want to play their songs like every set, you know. Um, But they can be a little, you know, hard to pull off. You know, vocally can like really kind of shred you up, you know. Um, we would also kind of go back and forth where some people in the band love it. Other people think it's kind of a bummer, some of their stuff. I love it. Um, you know, Pearl Jam is fun. We play, uh, we play Jeremy, which for me as the bass player is just really fun to play. And it's like a little different. Um, that song either gets like a, you know, damn near standing ovation at the end or clears the floor depending on where you are. <laughs> so like you kind of like no middle ground. Like, yeah, that one. And then just because I love any song with that can use a fuzz or overdrive pedal, I, I really love playing song two. Uh, that one's a lot of fun. That's just that's one of those songs. It's so simple, but everybody sings along with it. It's nice and easy, and then yeah, it's actually, it's just it's fun to play. It's like a good party time song. But um, I, but I think it's not two thousands. But I think my favorite song that we play right now, which I want to play every show, is um, uh, Chelsea Dagger. Oh, that's, I think it's like the Chicago Blackhawks goal song. It, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> if you heard it, you would get it. It's like, you know, a good party song too. Oh, yeah. That one, that one always always goes over well too. And yeah, a lot of fun. But uh, those those are mine. But it's been cool, kind of dusting off some of the old ones. Like you know, we're talking about '90s stuff, playing like you know, "Somebody to Shove" by Soul Asylum. That's a fun song. Once again, like I don't think. I, listened to it in years and then you know our drummer's like i want to play it and i want to sing it and we learned i'm like i'm like dude this is a this is a fun song you know so your your lead singer likes to throw shoes did i read this correctly <laughs> oh yeah yeah he, uh, he, he likes to work in his, his little things with um was it the uh 
Buddy Holly, uh, the whole, uh, I don't know, but I lost my shoe. So like before the song starts, you see him like starting to like <laughs> loosen up his like <laughs> shoe. And like, so sometimes he'll throw it. And then I think he's learned the lesson. He used to sometimes just kind of like toss it to his side or like by me, who tried to hit me with it. And so then I would take it and like, throw it out into the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> So then after after a couple of times, he's, he's like, I gotta throw it to somebody else who's not going to try to like, you know, send it to the moon, but you got to be yeah, careful. Like, uh, you don't want to play brain stew and he starts taking his pants off or something. Please don't give him any ideas. He, he will do it. <laughs> he, he's definitely one of those dudes. Like you see, like, you know, he, somebody makes it and then you see the gears turning and then like, you know, <laughs> And then and there it goes, you know. So, but it, it makes it entertaining. Me and him at the Orange Lantern once, we were doing like a, I think it was during basket case. We were like playing around, kind of like boxing each other out, like in basketball, whatever. And so he thought it was done and I didn't. So I just went and threw another shoulder into him and he stumbled and he had like two keyboards, like, you know, stacked up by the edge of stage and he knocked him over and hit like our friend's friend, like right in the back of the head. Who, to this dude's credit, they, he turned around. He was totally cool and like, you know, like actually helped like put it back up. But uh, and we finished the song. <laughs> the there you go. Song. Oh, rock. And so you got and fight through it. Have you guys uh, like ever had to deal with like a drunken, like rowdy member of the crowd? And like, if so, like, how did you guys kind of handle that kind of situation? <laughs> Some dude. I won't, I won't mention the venue, but like they handle him well. But this dude, he, I don't know what he was on. It, it, but he was like coming like on. So like, you know, we're just like on the floor. We're like, you know, I think they can like move like the air hockey table over and like, you know, like then we're playing. He's like coming up on stage and like he's like trying to talk to people. And I think at one point he might have actually been trying to like strum the guitars or something like that. And he was just like during every song, he had to like come up and just start like like trying to start a conversation with somebody, you know, and like at mid-song? one point, like I like like mid song, like everybody's playing, and he's like he comes up and he was relentless. Like he was, it was either he was very excited about whatever it was, or if he didn't like it, he had no problem letting us know that either. But like I was like looking over, like at the security guy at one point, I kind of give him like the eyes, and then he kind of like perks up. I'm like, I'm like, like this dude here. So he was just kind of like he was good about keeping him away. But it was funny because the rest of the night you just see women scattering from the sky, like running and just like everybody. He was, I don't know. I, I was talking to the security. Guy, I'm like, I'm like, what was I'm like, like what's up with that dude? He's like, he's like, he's like, it's got to be the drugs. I'm like, I hope not. But there's been plenty of that. No. No real shenanigans, though. No fist fights, unfortunately. We kind of hope that we maybe see like one of those bar brawls. You got to play more Rage cold. Against the Machine. That'll get well, the yeah, crowd fired mean, up. Thing, we, we, we play Killing in the Name, like, you know, every now and then. You'd think it would, like, elicit some kind of, like, you know, somebody to break a bar stool over somebody's back. But everyone's just, like, too well-behaved. No one wants to get sued. Okay, so this next interview um is when we had florida band camp trash on and uh this was another really exciting one because this was right around when like people started responding to our emails (laughs) and uh nice way to put it (laughs) yeah (laughs) and we were just firing firing stuff off really and like seeing who'd get back to us and who wouldn't and um 
these guys were like right away like yeah we're down like let us know and uh we set up and it happened um they they just had one ep out and then um this year they put out the long way the slow way and it was both of our one of our favorite albums right far and away yeah. the whole album appeared on my uh my wrapped playlist there was not a single track that wasn't on there with how much i listened to it so yeah yeah it was great Definitely and, one of the best and it was i think it was our first interview we did together where we had an entire band on the interview like it was us and like four dudes all in different zoom windows yeah and i remember like keegan was like walking around or like he was outside like just on like vertical phone and then like the other dudes were at their houses and it just like it was it was one of my favorite interviews like it just felt like we were just hanging out talking about stuff and for plenty of it like they were just talking amongst themselves and we were kind of just like flies on the wall just hanging out there yeah also shout out to keegan who turned me on to fleshwater thanks to a uh tweet he had about the new the new metal revival yeah he's he was complaining a... it never happened then pointed out how good they were and said it's like the closest thing we have to that and he yeah was right. yeah thank you for sending me that because that was a good album good bet um yeah these guys were cool we got into like some like songwriting stuff with them which i always find so interesting and uh the watermelon story i think is like the bread and butter that's definitely what i included here i don't remember what else but i know the watermelon story when they were touring with ogbert the nerd and they were in asbury and they were going to smash a watermelon to pieces um uh gallagher style which i never even really knew what gallagher was until until this and i watched that whole clip and now you know yeah so i learned a lot and then they talked a little bit about just like being on the road and like losing their minds but loving it at the same time so yeah they're another band that i would hope i hope to see next year i had to miss them this year because at a wedding the day they were in town they'll be back yeah yeah they uh shared on instagram the other day just saying like we want to go back on the road we're so bored so you love to see that like someone big should take them out too yeah that'd be great for them i'd always just want to see these guys just headline themselves but like them with the front bottoms would be awesome yeah yeah that would be good instead of like Oso oh, Oso, oh, who's on every single tour <laughs> They must be like local guys. I don't like dislike their music or anything, but they, I've seen them open like four or five times now. And it's like, all right, come on. Vinny is not a fan. <laughs> no, Vinny was not. He audibly <laughs> booed them. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you can't boo a band. Get out of here. He was wasted though. Oh, yeah. So fun. I'm also pretty sure like he, they were sick that night or something. Cause like he was like in a hoodie and like his voice kept cracking. <laughs> so like, I don't think it was their best show. All right, we we'll got some redemption. I saw them uh, open for the Mezingers too. But anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Camp Trash. Um, yeah, so we're gonna throw it to that. Here is Camp Trash and the watermelon story.
uh, who wants to tell the story? I'm not responsible for any of this bullshit. I said oh, no. Yeah. You weren't there. Ian, so. <laughs> <laughs> I was working. I was working that day, on, on a laptop, and then I had just bought an amp uh, from an old guy in the a farm in Ohio, and was trying to figure out how to get it to sound right. And I just there's just a text in the group chat that just said, "Ogbert is bringing the sledgehammer," and I said, "Oh no." But I think Levi, I think Levi might have masterminded this. Yeah, we we had we had so many ideas for bits on tour that we kept backing down from. And I decided at some point when I was like, I just said I was done with work and I was way too hyped on this one idea. Um, I just decided we're gonna follow through with this bit and I'm gonna force us to. Um, so I texted uh, Madison from Ogbert who was playing with us that night and I was like, does any, do you know anybody with a sledgehammer? And they were like, actually, yes. One of our band members has a sledgehammer and they're bringing it. <laughs> and so I went and bought a watermelon immediately. And Keegan's like on the phone with his boss. And I just opened the side of the car door while he's trying to pretend he's not on tour with his job. <laughs> and then just put a watermelon in the back seat and leave. So the plan was never to smash the watermelon, right? You just wanted to confuse the crowd a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The bit was kind of running so much. The bit oh, was Brian, running for a while. What you have to start? You have to explain the, the the beginning of the bit, like the reason we had a watermelon to begin with. Well, so I don't. I think it may have started in the free throw tour, right? Like we were talking about the idea of. Um, I, I just thought it would be funny if. And, I, and the the bit initially was going to be more of like a like a slow build into right, let's start with the watermelon on the stage, not say anything, just assemble it, play the show, and then take it down. And then it was going to move into like, all right, now we're going to get the sledgehammer, and like, so now there's a sledgehammer on stage next to the watermelon, and then we you know another show we were done, go off stage, and then maybe we show up in like a hazmat suit or something like. It just keeps elevating into us being like, we're, they're definitely going to smash this watermelon. Um, but yeah, we just, uh, we, for whatever reason, we just kept talking about, we, Gallagher became like part of the, the joke, the running joke in the car that like, we're, and I think we just like talked about it, like pulling the Gallagher, but the Gallagher that never comes. So Keegan, I don't know you, if you want to talk about the play, cause I wasn't, I feel like th that evolved into its own like thing. I know, it just it just it just boiled down to how funny would it be if we set up like we were going to do a Gallagher. We had all the pieces. We had the sledgehammer, the watermelon, the stool, everything, and then the whole set went by with everybody waiting for us to smash the watermelon. And then at the end of the set, we just pick up the watermelon, the sledgehammer, and we leave, and we never say anything about it. <laughs> yeah. So that was like that was pretty much. We, we, we just kept talking about doing it um, and discussing how funny it would be if we actually ever did it. Um, and then I think it was because the, so the new, the Asbury park show was the, uh, that, so the show before that was when Spanish love songs got COVID and had to cancel the rest of the dates. So we were already kind of in like maniac mode thinking about like, all right, what do we do as far as like, we're going to play this one show, but then there's like no shows after this but we're still in New Jersey. Like we have to get home to Florida. We technically still have like two weeks of our lives that we can like, if we can figure it out, we'll find a way to like schedule more dates and just like 
play shows to get home at the very least. Um, so we were just in kind of a crazy mindset anyways. I think of just like the combination be like, all right, tour is over. Safe Face is going to play a headline show or we're going to be direct support. Uh, I don't know what the show is going to be. Let's just get the watermelon. Let's like, let's commit to the bit now. Uh, and luckily, Ogbert also was like very on board to do it. So even like as we got to the venue, uh, I think Madison was like, so is it cool if we also uh, like do the watermelon bit? <laughs> and we're like, oh yeah, let's, I mean, if it, we were, we even opened the door to Safe Face, but I think at that point we had already, they, they've already been like gone. So um, yeah, it was a very awkward day. And I feel like there's a ton of people who kept asking us about the watermelon and we just decided <laughs> for some reason also not to acknowledge it. So like, I think at one point Madison was on stage and they were like wrapped up with their set and somebody like yelled like, what's up with the watermelon? And Madison didn't hear them. And Madison was like, what, what happened? What's up with the watermelon? And Madison just turned it, turned their head and just walked off stage. That was, and that was it. It was like, it was, it was awesome. But yeah. It, so the, the other thing is we got to that venue in Asbury park. Um, and we, uh, I, we were setting it up. I was setting it up for uh, Ogbert, I think, putting it on stage at some, at some point. Um, and there is someone at that venue who is doing the show, putting the show on, like was there clearly organizing the thing, was in charge of whatever show was happening. Um, and one of them comes up to, to us very, very concerned because they see a watermelon <laughs> and a sledgehammer on their stage. And this guy just, just, just asked like, hey, I'm just curious, what, what is this for? And we are very upfront trying to be as nice and open as possible. Like, hey, we're not gonna smash this thing. We're really like, this is just a bit, the whole bit is we're not gonna smash it. And several times throughout like sound check that night, the same guy comes up and he's like, y'all, you are you you sure you're not going to smash it because you have a sledgehammer it's on a stool like we know the bit i know what's going to happen <laughs> and we have to keep reminding this we have to keep convincing this guy like this is not i promise you you're not going to get watermelon we're not going to get watermelon all over your stage um and he was clearly i i thought it was so funny because he's obviously thinking the most reasonable thing we have designed a watermelon smashing session and <laughs> told him this is not going to be that thing that you can see with your own eyes yeah. <laughs> that we're going to smash the watermelon but i yeah. promise you it's not going to happen he was very concerned yeah we had to walk him through the whole bit but then it like i think as and part of it too is like it wasn't even just like the, the obvious like terrible mess that it would create with a watermelon being smashed on stage but also he was just like well i mean like the stool is our property like i just don't want you to break the stool <laughs> so he was like starting just to like revert to like like listen like i just don't damage our property at this point like and i was like listen like I, we are we are not here with any intention of destroying anything we just we just want to have a watermelon on a stage during a set and then take it down that's it that's the he end went, of it he was bargaining by that point he he accepted yeah. the water smell was getting smashed yeah I think, the stores. he's like begging sounds, with us if it sounds confusing now to you it is to us and it was to everyone then as well. There's, <laughs> it is one of the things That's why that funny. we just, just we really committed to the bit. Yeah. There is, there's a delirium about being on tour in one small Jeep Patriot with three other dudes for that long. You just think everything is so fucking funny at some point. 
I have like a list of our bits that we just couldn't stop laughing at. Oh yeah, and then we tried we tried to make a spreadsheet to rank every single album released in 1999. Oh, that was like insane. we were really coming unglued. We we listened to so much weird alligator. <laughs> Yeah, like we're, we just couldn't get a tour east of uh, or west of Atlanta. So like, and we had to get to Texas. So like we got, I think our last show is in like South Carolina. So we just had like a 24 hour drive with no shows for like two days. And uh, so, yeah, at that point is when I think things were really starting to come unglued for us. We were, uh, that's when the 1999 album ranking started. Okay, this next band we're going to show you guys is a New Jersey band. Um, they were huge in the early 2000s, and they came back this year. Armor for Sleep, Ben Jorgensen. Um, these guys were one of my favorite bands growing up. What to Do When You're Dead was like a repeat album. I love the shit out of that album. We used to listen to it on my little Sony Walkman, carry it around. Um we got into a lot of cool stuff with him. Like a lot of like behind the scenes major label stuff, which was cool because they had a debut album that was pretty well received. And then their second album, the one I was just talking about, was like really blew up and it was huge. And then their third album was when they signed to a major and it just kind of like missed the mark a little bit. And we got into that with him about like why that happened, um, the pressures from a major label to like get a hit and sacrificing the band's vision. Um, he was very open about all of it, which was really cool. He didn't have to be either. Like we're like, we've never talked to him before. We're still a podcast that's growing. And he gave us just unfiltered, great answers to everything we asked and, he might have been the most open guest we've had. Yeah, this was by far the most interesting interview to me. Um, Tom Denny is a close second, but um, both of them just gave really good insight to like the industry, and it was just really cool to hear. Like, we basically asked him, like, "Why did your third album like stink?" <laughs> like, in, in not so many that. words, and he. He was just like, yeah, so here's what happened. And it was super interesting. And um, they're lucky enough now to like be back. And they got to make this next album without any pressure from a label. On their terms. Yeah. So, yeah, um, we get into some of that. A um, bunch of like cool uh, industry stuff. So, uh, yeah, here's some of our favorite parts from that interview on one hand we can look back and say signing to that major label was not the right move for us because we put out a, a, a record on a major label and if a lot of times if even if you do well in terms of that album selling like pretty well by your standards if it's not a massive hit the label really stops caring about you. Um, there are a lot of reasons behind that. There's a high turnover rate of, of employees there. So if like you don't have a platinum record in the first year, it's just really hard to get traction. They sign so many bands. So you could view us having gone to 
um, it was Warner Brothers at the time after Equal Vision as a mistake. And sometimes I talk about that in interviews saying like we regrettably signed to Warner Brothers. And there are a lot of regrets. Um, but at the same time, for us at the time, we were young kids and um, we wanted, we kept wanting Armor for Sleep to go to the next level. You know what I mean? And if we had stayed on Equal Vision, there was a part of us that thought like, if we stay on Equal Vision, it's, you know, we thought there was like a certain ceiling to, to that because major labels have resources that indie labels don't have. Um, but yeah, if, if you, a lot of times, if a band signs to a major label and doesn't have the hit, it's really hard to recover. Um, and you're kind of hoping you're like the one in 100 that has a radio single. Um, and then the major label can like take it and run. Um, so I don't even know if I answered the question. <laughs> no, you, you did. That, it's interesting. And like you said, like you guys are kids, like you never know what the right play is going to be. And to be even acknowledged from a major label and them showing interest in you, that's got to be such a rush. So yeah, it's cool. And yeah. I felt like um, smile for them. You leaned into a little bit of a concept, but yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh. it, it, it was, it was to a certain extent. Um, I just hear that record as a, uh, we got, we got lost. What's what's uh, in the industry called a uh, demo hell where uh, we had, we had like 11 or 12 songs the first demos we made for that album. Um, and I thought that we had our album. I was like, Hey guys, here's the album. Here are the 12 songs we did. It's awesome. Let's go find a producer and make it. We sent it to the major label and then they called us back and we're like, yeah, you guys need to keep writing more songs. And up until that point as a band, what we had done is like hashed out the 12 songs, then made the record. So we were like, what do you mean? we have to write more. And they were like, keep writing more songs, go to this guy, write with him, go to this guy, write with him. So I flew to LA was like writing with all these people. We did more demos, submitted to them. Sorry guys, you need to write more songs. So it was like this like endless process of like writing songs to try and appease them. So by the end of it, I don't feel like it was as concise of an album as I liked it to be. Like, I, I think, something that our fans liked about armor for sleep was that it's more than, and just random songs. And, and unfortunately for smile for them, when I hear it, I, I, I hear it as a bunch of just random songs, because honestly, that's, that's kind of what it was, you know? And, and uh, we were, we were just trying to do, um, we were trying to just appease the adults in the room, you know what I mean? And I, I, I just think the, um, the message just got kind of lost a little bit. Now this might be a dumb question, but like, why do major labels like do that? Like, I don't, I will never understand that. Cause like you're signing a band for like who they are and like what they've made in the past. So why not just like let them do what they do and trust your decision to sign them? Like, I don't get why. I mean, sure. it seems like it happens to so many bands. They step in and they start like ordering them around and it doesn't work out. And then they blame the band, even though it's yeah their fault for giving the order, you know? Well, I have a, I have a really simple answer um, for that. And Maybe things have changed now, but for rock music and specifically for like rock bands coming out of the emo scene, the very simple answer to that is the thing, the tool that major labels had that indie labels didn't have at the time was, do you guys know? Radio play or video? Ding, 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 okay. Ra radio. <laughs> and um, at the time it was a lot of paying for radio play, but also major labels just controlled terrestrial radio. And that's how bands got huge. Um, 
And quite simply, that's that's the only thing that was different from them than indie labels is that they had that. And they knew that, and we know that we knew that too. So that whole process of of writing demos was really about them trying to flush us out for a hit song because and a hit song, I mean a song that would do well on radio. Um, that's really what they're good at. And um, they still have that ability now, but also sometimes they don't know what's going to be a radio hit. Sometimes nobody knows what's going to be a radio hit, but I, I know with us, they were trying to get us to write a radio hit and um, you know, you, you can't like force that. And also I don't think we were ever a radio hit band. Um, so I think it was just kind of like a losing proposition for all parties to think that that's what was going to happen. Um, at the time, I was really excited about a band called Muse that were on Warner Brothers, who they had songs on the radio, but I never saw them as a radio band. I just figured like the label was like Muse, go do an album. And like, you know, some of the songs could be on rock radio, but um, that's not what happened with us. They didn't want us to be Armor for Sleep. They wanted, you know, they really did want a, a radio hit from us. And honestly, like um, a song from that album, uh, for example, is a song called Williamsburg. Williamsburg was written, honestly, we were just bored with writing songs. And that was just like a song that we were just trying to like get our managers and our label like excited about or have them be like, oh, here's something different. Now you can make a record. And when we did that song, they were like, oh, this is the radio single. And we were like, what? Like, Super we just wrote this because, <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. But we were like, we just wrote this because we were bored and we were trying to like get your attention, not because we think like that's our song to be pushed forward like that was so different from you know like car underwater or the songs that i think our fans like from us but that was the song that they put on trl and that they thought we would uh be the next blink 182 from you know when you tell that story because i feel like wasn't it blink wrote like first date or the rock show awesome. just to, like make the studio happy and then yeah it became like yeah. one of their biggest hits and that wasn't what like what their purpose was yeah yeah so, so now you're here with the Ray Museum and there's it's got to feel like a weight off your shoulders to just make this because you want mm. to make it, you're passionate about it, you make the decisions. Was that, yes. did it feel that way when you were making it? <laughs> yeah, 1,000%. Yeah. Oh, that's um, great. Uh, Dan, again, from Equal Vision was like, if you think it's time to get Armor for Sleep back together, whatever album you want to do, we will green light the album. Well, you know, whatever producer you want to go with, we'll do it. And so uh, they didn't hear one demo. They didn't hear one note of music before um, approving the producer that I wanted to use. Uh, this awesome guy, Courtney Ballard, who produced it. And um, they didn't come to the studio one time. They didn't ask to listen to anything, which is obviously really rare for a label that's spending a lot of money to make a, a thing. Um, and they did that because that's what happened with what to do when you were dead. You know, they let us go and make the album that we wanted to make and they didn't interfere and they trusted us, which I'm not, by the way, I don't know if they do that with all of their bands. I think this might be like just a, a weird special relationship they have with us, but, um, but yeah, it felt good. And, um, you know, it was a much different process than doing the last album where we had a record label and a management company and everybody like, telling us what 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 they thought sucked you know this was there was none of that this was just what we felt was right all right so up next is one of our favorite new discoveries of 2022 winners of our album of the year ross gordon of cold years which 
made us realize how much we love American Idiot still all these years later and how we didn't realize we wanted another album like that. But it Goodbye to Misery scratch every single one of those itches. It was an album that was on repeat for both of us throughout most of the year. It completely took over. I know my Spotify end of year list uh, still album of the year in my books. I'm really excited for them to finally come overseas eventually. Hopefully we can uh, drink some PBR with them in Asbury Park. Yeah. Or wherever they come, maybe even Crossroads would be awesome if they played there. Yeah, we we did get into that um, in this interview. It was so cool because like he's like they're from Scotland and uh, he was talking about New Jersey bands that like made it impact on him from like my chem to bruce to uh bouncing souls bouncing souls um and he's like you guys just like have an amazing music scene over there and like just the fact that like he knows what the stone pony is he knows what crossroads is it's and crazy like, wants to come here and play them like it's just so rad like i hope i hope he does do that so yeah we got th- got into that with him when you're 32 in person yeah Oh yeah. It'll happen. It'll happen. He he mentioned in some of these clips, I don't remember exactly what I put in here, but um they had plans to come to the States and then COVID happened. But when we interviewed him, he said they were in the process of like getting their visas and how like their booking agent is the same booking agent for I think it was the Mezingers. Oh no, Gaslight. And she said, like, don't worry you'll be playing Jersey. So like, that's super cool. So maybe add that to our most anticipated of 2023. Yeah. Yeah. Most anticipated show. And with seeing new bands live kind of checks both those boxes. Yeah. Um, And then I left in because like the world cup is going on. I don't remember if this was in the original interview or not, but we asked him about like who his favorite like football club was being like a Scott, a Scott. Is that the right? Yep, he's not a fan. And no, he's like gets into just how like people take it very seriously and almost use it as like a mask to like tout like their religious ideas. And it got like very serious for a second, but it was interesting because not something like we really know too much about. You just no. think everyone from from that side of the world just like loves it, but apparently that's not the case. I was like, I wonder if he's a Celtic or Rangers fan, being from <laughs> Glasgow. And it yeah. was neither. No. So, the and then know. we and then we just like nerded out on some forty one for like a little bit. <laughs> like he is definitely our age, if not like younger. Oh yeah. But I think of. All 32. our guests, I would like to just like have a beer with him the most. Yeah, they'd be a good time. Beer, um, company, beer drinker of the year. <laughs> like, have a beer with guest. There we go. And just talk about all different punk rock and yeah, it'd be awesome. Yeah. Hopefully that happens this year. Bouncing Souls are another one I need to deep dive because I feel like as a New Jersey guy, I just like, I feel like shame that I don't really listen to them, and people will have. Like I have friends who have been seeing them like every year for like twenty years or something crazy like that. Them and the Mendingers are tight. Yeah, oh, I didn't. I didn't How you spent your summer vacation and hopeless romantic? Start right. with those two. 
All right, cool. Um, but yeah, um, cold years are new favorite. Um, here's Ross. It's funny you mentioned that we're actually about to go kick off the American visa process because yeah, we are coming to the US. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> we're coming over a few times next year. Uh, we're just waiting on stuff being finalized. So um, it's really exciting. Always wanted to go to the US. You have Denny's in America, and I can't wait to get <laughs> an in-out burger and caramel M and M's and ruffles chips all that stuff yeah and the shows of course which are cool oh yeah all that stuff's here waiting for you to yeah man. we got the food and beer ready to go and all the time BBR, bbr is my favorite beer and it's really expensive here so i'm looking forward to drinking it in the u.s yeah. oh that's awesome that's like one of the cheaper beers here that's like the go-to for buying 30 packs oh, amazing. <laughs> so bring it bring it back to the music a little bit um on wasting away did you just tell your drummer to go like crazy at the end? <laughs> right, right. Okay, so uh, that one was really specific. And the, the drummer on the record was a guy called Sam Odgan, who uh, played in a band, he plays in a band called Static Dress. And he's like, a, he's like, I, I guess, like Keith Moon, you know, like this kid, he, he's so young, he's only like 21, 22, but he is unbelievable on the drum like i've never seen anybody do that i mean he recorded the whole record the whole all of the drum parts were done in two days and in some cases some of it was done first take and i'm wasting away uh there's a song on uh, dookie called burnout which has this part in it where trey does this yeah, yeah. like this like and i was like how cool would it be to have like a drum solo on a song that kind of did the same thing as that but was a little bit more technical and a little bit more us and that's where the uh, inspiration for that part came from, um, which I actually, it's one of my favorite moments on the record, 100%. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, you just mentioned Green Day. Like, I know you've probably seen like tweets since this album came out, like people comparing this to American Idiot. Like, how does that make you feel like hearing this compared oh. to like an album that <laughs> huge? <laughs> I, I can't deal with it. And it's, it's so funny because uh, like, you know, I remember being a kid when that came out and so many people in my school were like, this sucks. This isn't bam. What the, what is this? Yeah. This, isn't, this isn't punk rock. And I just remember being like, what is punk rock? And it, it was like this thing uh, where all of a sudden I remember Jason uh, put up on, he did a review of the record and he compared it to that. And I just almost had a breakdown reading it. So I was just like, this is it. I can't believe that our name and their name is on the same sentence, let alone, you know, that album is on the same sentence and, it definitely wasn't something that we set out to do, but I think unintentionally, you know, if, if I read what he said and then I take it in context of the record, I can kind of get where he's coming from, from the subject matter and the, I guess the way the songs flow together. But, you know, for me, it, it, it's a, it blew my mind completely. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I definitely noticed like the comparisons. It's, it's right there. Also gave me a little bit of um, like Black Parade vibes, like, on your intro and some of the ways you like slow it down and stuff where yeah. have you uh are you like a my chem fan at all or i am a massive with them? actually i missed them my girlfriend saw them yesterday at the hydro uh, which was their last day of the uk tour and uh she was showing me videos of them and they just look insane and i've seen frank hero in a lot of projects like i watched him um support dave hawes a small venue in already i've seen him at 2000 trees and frank hero to me is like 
one of the most influential people in punk rock. You know, he, he basically invented what the phrase emo became. He invented a movement of people. And, you know, without him, you wouldn't have this. And I, I think, like, without that band, you wouldn't have a lot of bands you have now. And it's impossible to have grown up in the period that I grew up in and being, I guess, high school to... 2005 2006 yeah. and not be aware of who my chemical <laughs> romance were because literally every party i went to like helena be playing or give them hell be playing and like yeah. people would be down in beers and it, it was just <laughs> such an influential part of my childhood and i still listen to those records now with the same affection that i did you know 20 yeah. years ago 10 years ago same here new jersey yeah. band Represent. Yeah, all the best fans from New Jersey, right? <laughs> you also have the Bouncing Souls, though, and they, like to me, they were an even bigger part of my childhood. So, um, yeah, you have some great bands. You should, uh, you should try and play the Stone Pony when you come here. I would love to play the Stone Pony. We would love uh, to have you. Yes, yeah, I also would love to play Crossroads. I think, like you know, it's, yeah. it's oh, that'd be fun. Crossroads, yeah, and the thing is, like, I have a lot of friends over there, like Rocky Cantonese from Mercy Union, really good friends with him. And he he always is telling me about all these shows they're doing in New Jersey and who plays there. And I'm just like, oh, dude, I'm so jealous. And it's like, you know, I guess the Gaslight Anthem have um, their roots there. You have Springsteen, you know, you, and you have like such a musical history. That is like the, probably one of the most densely musical areas of the US that I'd consider being a Scotsman. I can't wait to come across and visit. So. Yeah. Yeah, I know you got punk rock in New Jersey. <laughs> oh yeah. I know you got to do your New York shows, but make sure to get some, get a Jersey oh, we'll show. Do, we'll, do, we'll do New Jersey. <laughs> our our uh, manager is uh, someone called Anna Jacobson Long, who basically she she did the Gaslight Anthem all the way through the 59th. So like she was their manager throughout all of this. And she every time we always talk about going to the US, she always says, we will be doing Jersey. Do not worry. Because <laughs> yes, it's a yes. all. <laughs> And the people were like, Oh, I didn't expect this. And then when the, when the breakdown comes, like, it's really cool. Cause like we got a lot of different kinds of people coming to our shows and obviously some of them like hardcore music. Cause a lot of people were throwing themselves around in the room, like in a big way, which is a really cool thing to see. <laughs> like it was awesome. Yeah. You got to get some, some stage dives and get into the crowd. Oh, yeah. mix we, it did up. That. we did that. We <laughs> absolutely did that. And then immediately tested for COVID afterwards. And thought, oh, Let's true. not do that. Let's not do that. Oh so, yeah. 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 Think, a little tour. Yeah. Well, we got a little carried away on those run on that run. So I think, you know, <laughs> we have to be really careful. I, I think, you know, it, speaking of that, it just shows you the vulnerability, you know, luckily none of us got sick, but so many bands I know, I mean, we're playing slam dunk this weekend in Leeds like north and south so Leeds and, and London and so many American bands are pulling out just now because of COVID and because you know you have to get a negative test to get back into the US and all this kind of stuff and I saw you're on uh, some festivals like I was just kind of looking up your tour the other day I saw this one come up 200 trees it looks like it has 2000, a pretty crazy 2000. lineup 2000 yeah, oh 2000 trees. yeah 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 it's got like Jimmy <laughs> World on it yeah you get to meet any of those guys like when you do festivals like that how does that yeah go? it's it's really weird like so this weekend like uh slam dunk and slam dunk is like i mean if you see the lineup for this festival you'll understand it like i mean the interrupters are playing alexis on fire are playing wonder years are playing and everybody just mulls around it's kind of it's so weird because we feel so out of place because we're like nobody's right but then you're walking around this artist area and it's like just full of people who are like your childhood heroes or like people who are like huge 
and then it's just like everybody just hangs out and has a beer it's like a normal it's, it's just like going to a bar it's it's really strange but it's really cool and um you got a really good it's a good opportunity to make a lot of good connections at these festivals because it's like your networking opportunity and it's your chance to like maybe say hi as someone that you've listened to a long time. I'm like, one of the bands I'm looking forward to seeing the most was Sum 41. And I love Sum 41. You know, All Killer No Filler was one of my favorite records. It still is. And I saw their set list uh, for, like, they've been opening up with motivation. And I'm like, what a great way to open the set. And um, yeah, it's it's really cool. 2000 Trees is the same. Everybody just hangs out in the same area and says, hey, there's no... Yeah. We we're just supposed to see some 41 and uh COVID slash rain got it canceled. So it's happening yeah, yeah, in August COVID. now. So hopefully oh, it's my. it still happens. I heard that they're touring. Does this look infected at the end of the year? Oh, oh. I thought like yeah, because they're doing all killer no filler right now. Yeah, yeah they're gonna do it, they're gonna invert it and do you know, uh does this look infected? Oh, let's go. Way. I'm gonna go to that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Love they're awesome. Albums. Have you have you seen them before? Uh about 2000 and oh my god when was it oh like i'm trying to count how many years ago it was like 2007 2008 it's the last time i saw them nice. so a, long, a long time ago they shred live like i think yeah. people don't realize sometimes how crazy metal they are <laughs> their new drummer frank is insane frank zumo i he's doing a solo set at slam dunk before they play this year and I'm going to go watch him. All it is is just him shredding on the drums for like 45 minutes. I'm really excited to see it. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a great player. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I have awesome. a non-music question for you. So I know you're from Glasgow. So i got to ask, uh, what football club do you support if you support one? None of them. None of I them. Okay. I hate it. <laughs> you know, it's the embarrassment of my country. It's like loads of dudes fighting over some Dutch guy from a different country they never met 400 years ago over some religion that doesn't even matter. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it, it's crazy. You know, I mean, my girlfriend's Irish. So she obviously is pretty close to it and has a lot more of an understanding of it than I do. But in Scotland, it's like this this weird segregational thing that just causes hatred and violence, and I just don't like any of it. It's that Celtic Rangers rivalry. Oh, yeah, I've read uh, so much they, about that. They they like ugh, Rangers guys. I mean, I've seen them trash the city, throw fireworks at people, you know, and the police just stand and watch because they're all part of it. And it's like, it, and then you have these orange marches where they like they march down the street singing about killing catholics like i i don't understand oh it my myself God. um it's like something out of like a war movie and it's it's not something i want to be associated with so i hate that that it's like the we call it scotland shame i guess is probably what you would that's what it's described by people who live here um but it's really crazy like it's the only part of scotland this happens nowhere else only in glasgow it's so i didn't weird. know it was like that like you we wouldn't know from over here but that's crazy no, like it, it, it's all to do with, um, it's not really about the football. It, it's about religion and it's about whether you want to remain in the UK or whether you want to be independent. And then, you know, it's this Catholic Protestant thing. And yeah, it's just an excuse for a bunch of older guys to fight each other. <laughs> that's, that's how I describe it. This next guest um is another new jersey band we had a lot of new jersey love on the pod this year um i hope to keep that going but we had rob hit the drummer for midtown on the show and 
this this one was so cool because it actually like opened up some doors for us to other things um he's a producer and brett had asked him about four years strong um so later we reach out to four years strong's rep and he says oh they're like on the road right now but here's some other people we rep and that was how we got the tom denny so and we have to follow yeah. up on that four year strong one yeah definitely but um rob was super cool um those guys were just so like down to earth normal dudes like he was just talking to us about how like he was using vacation days at like an IT job to tour the country with My Chemical Romance and go back to work on like Monday like, and act what? like nothing happened what yeah and we asked him like what do your coworkers think he's like oh they don't really know like they're not like into this music and I'm like I don't I feel like it's big enough where like I don't know. I'd be I'd be making it known. Yeah. <laughs> but Rob was a great guy. Um the publicist was like, "Oh yeah, Rob could come on for like 30 minutes." So like that's what we kind of planned for. And he stuck around for like at least an hour. And like, was in no was... rush to leave either. No. No, he was telling us about how he got to he went to a Super Bowl as a Giants fan, like he had connections through like the music industry and went to that and like just he does work with um, like stray cats and like helping the cat population of like New York city. Like we got into so much stuff with him. Um, but some of the stuff that I put in this episode was uh, how they got on tour with my Chemical romance in the first place. And this reunion happened um, how he hadn't even like played drums in like eight years. Which that was pretty crazy. crazy. He had to reteach himself pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um and he he did great. I guess it's like riding a bike, but um we got some really cool insight to like the new Brunswick basement scene because they went to Rutgers, Thursday went to Rutgers. Um I don't know if the Bouncing Souls went to Rutgers or if they were just like in the area, but they kind of like created this whole culture of underground bands and they would all go see each other like and play with each other so he was telling us how like even if no one was coming to their shows they still had like 40 people there because all the bands were there and they just kind of created this this cool like little movement so that was super interesting um yeah rob was great we were very happy to have him on i talked to some people who went to the starland shows and they said it was an absolute blast and there was talk about making it a yearly thing. So, and we'll have to come next year since yeah. we couldn't go this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, here's Rob. So, so what happened was, is, is Tyler and our band, he'd always hit up me and Heath because we both still live in the Northeast. Gabe, Gabe lives out in LA. And, what ended up happening was he'd try to be all slight. Why don't you guys, uh, why don't we get together and have a beer? It is after not being a band for since 2005. And I can kind of smell, I can kind of smell what he was up to, but I didn't, you know, I love these guys, you know, whatever. And then he's like, Hey, uh, why don't you come over to my house for a barbecue? Uh, Rob, I have a drum kit in my attic, you know, like, 
And then the next, <laughs> then a text like the next month would be like, Hey, like, why don't we just jam sometime? Wouldn't that be, you know? So, so finally he, he kept pushing and kept doing the hints. And uh, I believe it was March. I'm going to say March 10th, maybe March 3rd of uh, 2020. And, you know, he and Tyler were like, Let, let's just have fun. Let's just get together and jam. Like, we'll just jam and have fun like the old days. Nothing about a show, but I knew I knew it was ulterior motives. Yeah, total <laughs> ulterior motives. So, so we talked, uh, got together, and within the next seven days, everything shut down because of the pandemic. So I was almost like, I guess, you know, sorry, Tyler. Like, this isn't happening right now. Like, nothing's going to go on. But we actually, me, Heath, and Tyler did get together. And in retrospect, it's really funny because I was like, oh, my God, I was such a, like, I couldn't even barely play drums at that, like, first rehearsal. And I was like, oh, man, I would never be able to do this. And then fast forward about a year and a half into the pandemic. And, you know, things start to relax. People start to to go out again and whatever it is. And Ty- Tyler starts banging on the door again. And he says, uh, and we're like, all right, well, why don't we just, maybe we'll do like a Starland show. And the plan initially really was just to do Starland, right? And the hard part is I knew it would be a lot of work um, for one show, but, you know, the big reasoning behind it for him and Keith and Gabe is they all have a bunch of kids and their kids are old enough now to see their dad's play. So, you know, the way I looked at it is like, well, if there's anything we could do, you know, for their kids, like to me, that's, that's enough reason to try to figure this out. So we kind of like started more than toying with the idea of saying, okay, well, how can we put this together to actually do a show? And so we were going to do it. I don't even know if we had a date booked yet at that point. But what ended up happening was um, Tyler, I don't know why he was texting with Mikey Way from my cam, but he was, I guess he said something to Mikey, but like, here's the thing, nobody, we were going to do a show again. Like it was like completely unannounced to anybody, any friends, but he slipped it when he was texting with Mikey. I'm like, I guess the (laughs) next week or two weeks, Mikey sees Gabe. I don't think we're like at a mall or a Dave and Buster's. I don't, something like that. And Mikey goes, Hey, Gabe, I heard you guys are doing shows again. And Gabe's like, How did you hear that? Like, why do you know that? <laughs> you know? So uh, the Mikey and Mike Kev, I guess they got together and heard of that after they, heard, you know, knew that we were going to really do shows. And then they're like, Hey, do you guys want to open up some shows for us? And then once they said that, it was like, there's no going back. You're not saying no to open up an arena, not just to your friends, but friggin' Mike and Mocha Romance, whose fans are unbelievable, by the way. They are so, they treated us so well and they're so kind and so nice. But uh, that's, that's, that's actually how this whole thing happened. And then once uh, I think a few promoters heard about us doing the headline shows and Mike Kim. Furnace Fest reached out and then Riot Fest reached out. So it was a total blast. Now, did you say that you stopped playing drums in 2005? So like you pretty much had to like kind of teach yourself all over again, like before this? Yeah, I mean, listen, I haven't played drums other than we did three 
really two shows and like a, a small little uh, warm up show um, in 2014. So I hadn't played drums in seven years until those shows when I did a little rehearsal. But then for these shows, I hadn't played drums in eight years. So really, I hadn't played since 2005 for the most part. I wasn't like playing in between. Yeah. So um, my, my my friend Gunner uh, he used to play uh, in a band, The Exit, from when we were all very young. Um, incredible drummer. Uh, when I was managing bands, Gunner was the uh, drummer in this band uh, named Big Data uh, that I managed. Um, so I was friendly with with Gunner, and I, I told him what was happening, and he's I'm like, hey, do you you know where I could rehearse? He's like, well, I have a spot. You want to throw me a few bucks a month? We got a drum kit there. You can come in like once or twice a week and hop on the drums. So starting February 1st, about once a week, sometimes once every other week, I would go in and play drums just by myself. And then starting in about April, um, you know, about every other week on average, uh, I would get together with Heath and Tyler in Jersey City, ironically, and not purposely done but just out of asking people around in the same rehearsal spot in 2022 we rehearsed in the same place we rehearsed at in 2004 and 2005 so the we were the first people ever in this rehearsal spot in 04 and 05 so it's just like it's been a really weird trip that you know so 20 years can pass almost and you know you're kind of like back where you started so um, right after we kind of got together, I was going to Rutgers, Tyler was going to Rutgers, Gabe was going to Rutgers. We actually all lived together in a house and, uh, there was even sh like shows in our basement. Um, I think Thursday played our basement, Rainer Maria played our basement. We'd go see Thursday at a million other basements in New Brunswick. So, um, it was this little, really great scene that it could be like, um, self-sufficient, which was, was really fun to see. Um, never got to see the Balancing Souls in a basement in New Brunswick, but that was one of the things when I was in high school I always wanted to do. But uh, yeah, in my mind, they were the kings of the, the basement shows before, uh, you know, it became super, super common. But yeah, it was a moment of time. It seems like those relationships have like stayed over the years. Like, you know, you guys are opening for my chem. Thursday was there too. It's like, what do you think it is about New Jersey? Like that it kind of just like boiled up that scene in the 2000s. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's population, um, population density, but, you know, that's a boring answer. Um, <laughs> uh, no, but but for real, I think, um, think about the ages a lot of us were, especially when that happened in New Jersey and New York. Other than matinees, it was 21 plus, it was bars. So what ended up happening is you people had to start putting on their own shows and it almost, you know, became um, a thing where people would know, okay, well, we, we don't have to settle for a venue. We can do the shows ourselves. And there was no barrier to entry. Right. So um, people started doing shows at firehouses, basements, um, and we were able to really just cultivate the scene. And it wasn't just hardcore bands playing together. You, a show would have a ska band, a hardcore band, a punk band. Um, and I think that was, you know, part of what really made, made things connect. Uh, and everybody knew that they could make a scene happen. They could do it if they wanted to figure out a way to put the show on and 
get all their friends' bands out. And the silliest thing is think about some of these ridiculous shows. It's freaking seven band bills. Like, talk about painful to sit through. But let's also pretend that nobody goes to the show. You got like 30 to 50 people just hanging out at the show watching your band just for the people playing. <laughs> and like, so you actually, by default, were like nurturing something bigger than you realized because it was meaningful to a lot of people. And all these people could then become friends. You go play a crappy bar. There may be three bands. None of the people know each other. They're not hanging out. There's nothing to cultivate there. So I think that has a lot to do with it. The whole, the, the, the unintended consequence of the DIY venue made it something very special and made it bigger than itself. The, the, the more irony of the New Jersey thing with my chem tour, my chemical romance tour. So uh, I'm sound checking. And then behind me, I, I look over because we, we, we strike in front of my chem so they don't have to move their drums out when they play. We're doing sound check. I see this guy behind me. He's like, hi, you know, introduce myself. I'm Rob. And he's like, you know, it says his name. And, 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 he, and he's like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm Mike Ken's drum tech. I go, oh, how do you know? How did you, how do you know the guys? How do you meet them? He goes, oh, I'm Tucker from Thursday's drum tech. That's, that's how I, <laughs> I, I met them. It's like, like it couldn't be more Jersey than that. It's pretty great. All right. For our next interview um we want to bring you guys another early one that maybe some of our listeners might not have heard if you jumped on a little later but um this was our friend brian from new jersey band grin and bear and um i love this band you heard me talk about it on the last episode but it's like strong like modern baseball meets like say anything like the raw emotion of modern baseball combined with like the creative all over the place songwriting of say anything. And they just have some really, really great music. Um, so it was really cool to have Brian on. We got into uh, some of his meditation practices. Like he had a song called Tonglin that I know uh, Brett found very interesting. Um, Fascinating you, song. Yeah. Yeah, and you had asked him about that, and he kind of explained like this, like Tibetan monk practice of like uh, taking in the darkness and exhaling light, or in dark, yeah, in dark out light is the lyrics. Uh, but yeah, he gets into that, which was very interesting, and just like examining your own self worth and like some mental health stuff, and how it all ties into his music and what it's like putting yourself out there like that. Um, and then I also just threw in some parts about his songwriting process because that's always super interesting to me because all artists do it differently. And he had a great approach of really having no approach. It, he kind of just took a lyric or a part and just kind of let it, guide him to see where the music would take him and you hear it in their music so it's very cool i also think brian i think it's safe to say he's our nicest guest yeah yeah by far give him a big old hug <laughs> i hope we see him at that halogen show yeah 
Yeah, I was talking to him uh, earlier today. He uh, said he's working on some new music, so very excited for that. And uh, yeah, we wish him all the best and hope to hear new music soon. Um, here's Brian, Grin and Bear. I think kind of piggybacking off that, like I feel like one of the moments that really like struck me the most from this new album was Tonglin. Because that just made me think like so much, and it's like such a great message too. So was that kind of like all of the meditation that like you were like had going on, or were thinking about like that? You just channel that all into that track, probably, or you channel that all into the track. You'd say, yeah. So one, so that is a, is actually a Tibetan meditation in the in the Mahayana tradition, which is like it's it's a tradition um, that I don't necessarily. I'm not the poster person for so i can't necessarily speak on it as much but it is the tradition of the bodhisattva which is the being who waits to be enlightened until everyone is so basically someone who works on themselves but then spends basically their whole lives um helping others and so that's a practice breathing in the darkness and breathing out the light is a practice in that tradition to build resilience but also to connect with other people's pain and suffering and connect with their joy too and uh and, and see that we're, we're connected to them anyway that's just a way to actually explore that a little bit more deeply it's such a powerful message you just that pain and suffering are inevitable it's like something you don't really think about but it's true like everyone goes through pain and suffers but some people like to kind of bury that away while others like to face it head on yeah yeah it's interesting because I, I, I mentioned it in that, that I cause, I think I cause myself a lot more suffering trying to create a perfectly pleasurable world. And I still do it. And I think about it all the time and I'm still doing it like every day. Um, and so that type of practice just allows you to experience the real world a little bit more for what it is. It grounds you, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. But um, it, 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 it's opened up being able to do it for so long at this point has opened up a little bit more um, liberties for me to be honest about my individual self and not even just necessarily depression and anxiety, but just managing things that traditionally are seen as bad, but we all have, like we're lying about having like anger and frustration and judgment and, and, and all of this stuff. And, and sometimes a complete lack of empathy um, when someone is suffering right in front of you and you for some reason just can't feel it and and other times you can so i think um the the general mental health struggles have been relatively easy to talk about but the true like honesty about the fact that i have all of the good and all of the shitty qualities of a human uh talking about that has been the hardest thing for sure and i'm still i still only show a little bit of those you know not that yeah. i mean not that i should be just show you know <laughs> yeah. but, but it's an invitation to others like it's okay like don't because it causes so much more talking about causing more suffering it causes so much more suffering to deny and act like you don't have these things because then you have this little secret where you think you're the worst person at you're the you're a little worse than everyone else because you believe that everyone else doesn't feel any anger or what, whatever I'm using that, that yeah. one, but it could be any. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that you and so many artists in uh, this genre are, are willing to write songs about this kind of stuff. Cause I know as a, a fan and a listener, like 
it it helps to listen to and you know you we pick and choose what we want to fill our ears with all day and to hear you singing i can handle anything and me singing along to that it's a positive thing to be to be putting out there as i'm going about my day and it's just it's a real it's a real nice addition uh, i appreciate it i like it a lot <laughs> liberating in a way yeah i can't wait to sing it live <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that was a very conscious choice to stop singing about things um, that were not beneficial to me at all. <laughs> like, because I'm if I'm writing it, I'm the one who's si it's in my head so much. So I'm I'm training myself to form these habits of saying these things like I hate myself or like I hate this job or my friends hate me. Like those are actual lyrics on in, <laughs> in earlier Grin and Bear songs. And it's like, do, is that what I want to be saying to myself all the time? Even if it's true, that's not the point. Like the point is no longer, is it truthful? The point is, is it truthful and is it useful? Um, and, and yeah. And so, yeah, that was <laughs> what you just said about just saying I can handle anything. That's exactly the, that's the, yeah, that's the intention for sure. So do you, um, do you kind of work on all the lyrics and go from there or is it different for a lot of the songs for the yeah. most part? Yeah. For the most part, I actually write lyrics and music together. And so I'm usually just playing guitar and whatever comes out, I start to kind of explore a little bit more. And so there are a lot of different renditions of the songs with different lyrics and different melodies and different guitar parts. And then if I have a, lyric or something that I really like then I'll try to explore that more and sometimes I'll write the lyrics and I'll actually finish out the lyrics and sometimes I'll write the music but for the most part they go together uh, you reminded me of another question I had talking about song structure um, your songs are so interesting to me because they don't necessarily fit the verse chorus verse bridge chorus mold but those parts are there but I don't find myself like I feel as if there will just be a whole new part to the song come in towards the end that I wasn't expecting or like, is it difficult to write songs that way? Or is it easier almost because you're not relying on a pattern? It's easier. It's, it's my, for me, it's so much easier. It's just like this part ends and what, what, what happens? Like, what, what do I feel? And when I started actually writing as I start, as I was demoing, which I had started doing um, for be gentle. So, I'm keep referring to that because these two are so intertwined to me. Um, when I started writing, demoing and writing at the same time, I would write a part a lot of times and then I would just have that part playing and have it recording and then just have the guitar and the microphone in front of me and then just play the next part, whatever felt right. And so that would be, sometimes the next part could be really new and really exciting or sometimes it would just go right back to the part before it. Um, it it would completely defer on what, how I felt moving forward. Just what would, what feels cool here? What feels exciting here? Um, what was going to keep me listening? It's not even about writing something at this point. It's not even to me about writing something like what makes sense here at all. It's just about like, what is exciting? What feels cool to me? Um, even if it's jarring to even me or the, the, listener it's just what's exciting what feels cool because i when i listen to an album and i get surprised by a part i'm oh i smile oh every time and i'm not necessarily trying to manufacture that in in it but 
I think I smile because that's how I feel too. Like when I'm writing, I just want to, I just want to do what feels cool next. Yeah. Or what, what, yeah. Or what, where the lyrics are going sometimes too. Sometimes mm -hmm. they take it into a place. Our last guest, but certainly not our least is Tom Denny, the former guitarist of a day to remember. And he's currently a producer, a kick-ass producer in the pop punk world. And I think I can speak for Nick when I say this was our biggest get on the podcast. This is one that when we brought up with our friends, like eyebrows would be raised and it felt really good to me and to both of us to land a guest like this and shows like it's, we're heading in the right direction with the show and hopefully we'll have like even more bigger guests in the new year, but him taking a chance on us and hopping on our show was incredible. He gave us some really great insights into what being a producer is like, being in a band as big as Data Remember, his decision to kind of step away from the band and start producing full time and how his love was producing and not so much being on the road, which is really interesting and kind of makes you think about what life is like being on the road in a band. And it doesn't really sound all that it's hyped up to be, at least based on what he shared with us, but yeah it's like some people are like built for it so, yeah because he said like it wasn't a matter of like if i was going to leave the band it was just a matter of when when yeah so interesting because like they were everything you try to achieve in a band they were on that like path of achieving those things so for him to step away really shows like some amazing like uh like self-awareness took a lot of guts as they like to say yeah and it paid off because he had like a super cool studio behind him and um working Seemed with a really lot of happy. great bands yeah she's putting out music um check out sounds like color on spotify um they just have a single out now but the whole album should be coming uh in january probably maybe february i don't know but it's great music and then Hopefully it's okay to share this one little Easter egg, but if for anyone that watches the show on YouTube during this interview, when he <laughs> talked about the musical direction of A Day to Remember, you could see Nick and I's faces light up as you as we're biting our tongues <laughs> to not want to bash your welcome to him. Yeah. And we did. We didn't. No, we didn't we did. go there. <laughs> he said, uh, I think he just said, like, our musical tastes have, like, I forget exactly what he said. I, I'm pretty sure I, I put it in here. So, and then you start smirking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it, it, you're gonna hear it momentarily. But, um, yeah, this was a great one. Thank you to Tom for coming on. And, uh, yeah, here's Tom. Did yeah. you invent putting breakdowns in pop punk songs? Uh... <laughs> I don't Go know if like, I, I don't know if I did like per se. Um, I think we did as a collective. I did remember, you know, like I mean, don't get me wrong. There, <laughs> there were people doing it um, when we started doing it, but there just wasn't not a lot. You know, the, the bands that were doing it weren't very big, and a lot of people looked down upon it like it was like some kind of weird thing. Like, why would you mix? <laughs> um, but. I think we were the first people to actually like take it and run with it, you know, 
like make it our thing you know so and it was yeah. kind of by like i didn't want breakdowns like i wanted pop punk and like oh, wow. the other half of the band wanted breakdowns and they wanted to be heavy and i'm like like i don't i don't remember who said it but let's just I, we came to the conclusion that we we have to meet in the middle so we decided to basically just merge the two and see what can, came out of it and that's kind of what happened <laughs> by <Wow>. accident <laughs> i think it worked <laughs> yeah for sure so what made you lean like more towards like the pop punk side as opposed to like having breakdowns i just uh i don't know like i grew up listening to melodic stuff you know like um and when i was really young it was like grunge you know in the 90s and then i got into like skate punk and pop punk and stuff when i was in my in my teens and i was just like i was just in love with it and you know and then like when i was in my early 20s when taking back sunday first came out and those kind of bands the whole emo thing happened i was just like damn this shit's so good and uh I just wanted to be in a band that was like really catchy and I didn't even listen to hardcore until I was until I started the band I did remember like I I didn't really know much about the hardcore scene at all I listened to some death metal like Cannibal Corpse and stuff when I was younger but I really didn't know much about the hardcore scene until until we started like you know until I like started the band it's they they were in you know showing me their influences and and really uh you know showing me like music that i never really because back then like the internet wasn't what it is today so it was really hard to discover new music you kind of like it was like a word of mouth thing or like your friends would show you new bands or something it was just like that that's how it was back then so it was really hard to like really break out of the genre that you knew you liked you know and um when they did you know I, I wasn't really like it's not that i wasn't into it i just wasn't i didn't want to be in a hardcore band you know what i'm saying it just wasn't yeah. for me fine when i was younger you know things are different now but <laughs> when i yeah when i first started the band i didn't really want i mean i wanted i wanted to be an emo band you know i, I remember <laughs> literally which is kind of cringe now but i remember saying it all the time I, I, I do a lot of writing in my head before I even like pick up a guitar. Like I think about, you know, like I, I get, I get inspired a lot by listening to, you know, I listen to a lot of different kind of music and I get really inspired and I've like found a way to take that inspiration and think about what, how I, how I could possibly, you know, use that and, and write something new from the inspiration. And I'll think about it and I'll basically let it cook in my head. You know what I'm saying? And I'll think about what could happen. I'll think about the parts while, while maintaining the feeling that the mute, the song or part or whatever inspired me to begin with gave me. And, um, and then I'll think about the song and, and, you know, it, it's like kind of in the back of my head, you know, like throughout the day, it's not like I'm sitting in an empty room, like, you know, thinking like, <laughs> that's not what i do but it, i do i'm constantly thinking about new music that i haven't written yet so by the time i sit down and i actually start to write something i at least have a general a general idea of what i want to do you know and then it, then it really is just kind of um figuring out uh how to to get it out of my head and you know make it a song that people actually want to listen to 
sometimes I write really bad music and I'm just like, God, not translate, <laughs> you know, it's, it's what it is. But <laughs> do, you, do you use, uh, you like use your notes app and voice memos and stuff for this? Cause I'll think of melodies sometimes and then I'll forget them like 10 minutes later and be like, damn, like what, what did I do before? That sounded cool. And yeah, I'll do lose it. I'll, it. I'll do that mostly for breakdown rhythms, you know, like I'll, I'll like think of like, like a breakdown I want to, I want to do, or I want to possibly use. Sometimes I'll just pop in my head and then, and then I'll come up with a really cool intricate, like pattern, you know what I'm saying? That I'm not, I know I'm not going to remember. Yeah. So I'll just mouth it, you know, in, in, in my phone, just so one day when I need a breakdown, I can just pull out that, da -da 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 -da, you know, it's like, <laughs> it sounds so hard, but <laughs> like we, we didn't really have a plan, you know, like I said, like we, we came up with this breakdown pop punk stuff because um, because none of us were happy. So like we had to like merge together and figure a way to make everybody happy. And on that first record, you can kind of hear it's like uh, we really didn't know. Like as a songwriter, I, I didn't really know what I was doing yet. You know, it took it took a couple albums for, for us to figure out um, exactly how 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 far we can go on the breakdown side or you know what i'm saying like everything i just said to you about balancing the parts i i had no idea what i was doing on that first record um it, some of it turned out okay it's just uh it was really we just wrote songs that we liked and they made the record like that's literally the end of it like there was no gotcha. thinking <laughs> there's no like master plan unfortunately <laughs> there was <laughs> but <laughs> which i could take credit yeah. <laughs> now where would you say you figure that out would that would that be like around homesick homesick yeah definitely yeah i think um um the record before homesick um i don't even remember the name of it i have so Don't you ago. have a heart there you go so so far <laughs> that one was uh you you can kind of hear the progression it was you know we were definitely way more experienced of mixing the genres than before i think the you know the first record we I don't even I can't even remember if we like knew we were mixing genres really we did obviously but like it was so different and so many people were telling us it was a bad idea it we want like we weren't really embracing it yet um and then the next record we actually knew that it was working you know we got signed to victory like all these things were happening because we we were doing that and it was like okay well now we know it's working so we have to work more and put a little bit more effort into making the heavy and the poppy work together and then homesick we just had a lot more time um we had more time like an experience with writing those kind of songs and we had a lot more time to sit back and actually write music for that record and spend a lot of time making it work better than we did before and i think that was the record where it was obvious yeah this is this is how you're supposed to do it you know i'm really proud of that record still to this day how would you say you kind of like took that like once you kind of stopped touring like how'd you take that experience from like all your songwriting and everything with the data remember like into becoming pretty much producing full-time um you know I, I, when we were making homesick chad from newfound glory produced that record and I learned a lot from him in that experience. Um, Cause we never, 
we worked with Andrew Wade, but he was like a local producer at the time. So like, um, Chad was the first person I personally had ever worked with. That was like, you know, kind of a big deal. He had worked with a lot of big producers himself and learned a lot from them. And so like when we were working with him, I was like really paying attention because I knew I, I've always known I wanted to produce and write music. I just didn't know when it was going to happen. So, you know, I was, I, I learned a lot from him. And so when I left, you know, I really like, I took a lot of inspiration from how I saw him, you know, uh, taking our, our, our bare songs and, and turning them into what you know now, you know, cause a lot of, I mean, that's, he did a lot of work on that record, you know, um, and I didn't even realize that producers did that at the time, you know, and it was really eye-opening for me and inspiring because I'm like, it, it just was like, oh, a light bulb went off, you know, holy shit, this is what producers do. I can, I can do this. I want to do this for other people, you know, and it just was like, it, it was also one of the things that pushed me towards the decision of leaving the band you know it's like well, i want to do this i don't want to you know i don't want to do this i want to work with other artists and help them make good records and it's like that's the thing that i love doing you know touring is it's just never been you know it's never been a thing for me really um but but yeah so when i started working with bands it kind of just i mean it worked immediately because i i, I loved doing it and it was you know, like when you start doing something, sometimes it takes a while for you to like, to like, oh yeah, this is it. I mean, it was immediate for me. I knew I loved doing it immediately. Um, it, you know, it took years, a few years to get decent at it, you know, but um, I've always loved it. I've always loved making records. So it was pretty seamless for me. Now, would you ever like consider like playing live again? Like if it was like one show, like if there's like a 20th anniversary show for Homesick in Florida, like would you and the band ask you, like, would you go on stage again with them? <laughs> on the spot. I'm just curious. <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. I don't know. You had to you enjoy know, some parts of touring, right? Like that's adrenaline I, on stage has got to be fun. I enjoyed performing, you know. It, I, uh, as soon yeah. as I got on stage, I loved it. You know, it's everything before and after that I didn't really like, you know, leaving my family. And, you know, I'm like, I'm the kind of person that really thrives on like uh, um, a stable environment, you know, like I'm very like, um, like repetition almost, you know, like wake up, have my coffee, you know, sit at my desk and start writing or whatever. Um, tour is so not that. It was just, it's just not, it wasn't me, you know, but I, I, I do love performing. So you never know. We'll see. <laughs> Are there any plans to um, continue working with the data member on songs or is it just album to album? If, if it works out, it works out. I don't know. Um, I think, you know, we've kind of grown apart musically. So, I mean, you never know. I'm never going to say never, but yeah, I, as of right now, I'm probably not. Okay, that's our show that wraps 2022. Um, thank you, everyone, for coming on this wild ride with us. And uh, 
can't wait to see what 2023 holds. We'll talk to you in season two. Yeah. We're going to kick it right off with uh, Nick Parco and some Weezer. A nice, uh, feels like home with him. <laughs> nice friendly face. Coming full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got uh, lots of plans for the new year. So uh, stay tuned and uh, happy new year. We love you all. Shout out to all our listeners for all your hours spent listening to us this year. And wash your feet and drive with the variety. Thank you.